Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're in chapter 12 of our group learning program. This chapter is titled, Craving is the Problem, What is the Solution? We're using this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path that Leads to Enlightenment, to guide our learning here. And then we get together on Sundays in order to do a talk on whatever chapter we're on that week. And then on Wednesday, we get together in the same location in order to teach meditation, either breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. And sometimes we even teach chanting, which are part of your practice or developing your practice on this path to enlightenment with the Buddhist teachings. Well, if you're joining us for the first time today, this is really great that you've joined us because it's a great time to kind of understand the primary problem that Gautama Buddha discovered about the mind and what is the solution. And if you've been in this program for any period of time, then this today is going to be a way for you to review what we've talked about in the past but also going deeper into it and getting much more deeper into what it is that the Buddha discovered as the problem in the unenlightened mind and the solution. So I'm really pleased that you guys have all decided to join because what we're going to do today is we're going to discuss the three universal truths, the four noble truths, then we're going to go into some examples of what type of cravings and how the mind can sometimes obsess about these cravings and cause discontentedness. And then we're going to go into the solutions of what actually solve the problem of the unenlightened mind so that the mind can move to this enlightened mental state. This enlightened mental state, the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, no longer experiencing any kind of sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, any kind of stress or anxiety, all completely eliminated from the mind permanently. So it's really wise for us to spend time and effort dedicated to learning the teachings of the Buddha reflecting on those and then practicing them in daily life because as we do the condition of the mind gradually improves and you see this truth for yourself that the teachings of the buddha they're not based on belief they're not based on believing a bunch of things and then hoping that when you die there's some good result that happens for you instead the way the buddhist teachings work is that you learn the teachings to learn them intellectually you don't believe them. Then you reflect on those teachings. 
then you implement them into your life in order to train the mind and make wiser decisions in your life. And as you do through training the mind, you will notice that the condition of the mind gradually improves. Things that once made you very angry or frustrated or irritated in the past, you'll notice this slow degrading of those strong feelings where those same exact situations can occur. And you'll notice that the mind doesn't experience those strong emotions any longer. It might just kind of get annoyed where in the past it would initiate all types of extensive anger. So your mind can actually move from this extreme strong feelings that you might be feeling in any given situation and the emotions and the feelings will soften. And then eventually, as you train the mind more and more, those same situations can occur and you don't feel any kind of unwholesome feelings or discontentedness whatsoever. You can have the same exact thing that caused you anger and rage two or three or four or six months ago. The same thing can happen and it's just, hmm, that didn't bother me at all because the condition of the mind has been gradually trained in the Buddhist teachings in order to move it closer to this enlightened mental state. And more and more as you learn and implement these teachings, the mind becomes more wise. It gets wisdom about these natural laws of existence. That's what the Buddhist teachings are, are sharing with you the natural laws of existence to help you understand how this world essentially works through these natural laws. One of the reasons why we experience discontentedness in the unenlightened state is because the mind is afflicted with ignorance or unknowing of true reality. The unenlightened mind, it doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. And therefore, because of this misunderstanding, this ignorance or unknowing of true reality, we do things in the world and we find it a real struggle to exist because we don't have the wisdom of these natural laws in order to make wiser and wiser decisions. This is the same thing that happened when we were a child. We experienced the natural law of gravity and we didn't like it. We didn't like it when we kept falling down as a child or as a toddler. We didn't like it when our toys fell and broke. We didn't like it when we knocked over glasses of water and we would cry and cry because we knocked over a glass of water. And that's because we didn't understand the natural law of gravity. But then as we grew up and we took time over many, many years to understand this natural law of gravity, we slowly learned how to walk, we learned how to skip and jump and hop. We learned how to run. And now because of our wisdom, because of our awakening to this natural law of gravity, we can now travel all throughout the world. And we know, make sure our shoes are tied. Make sure we look at the ground occasionally that we're not tripping over an uneven sidewalk. We learn to put our nice valuables in certain places that they don't get broken. And this wisdom allowed us to make wiser and wiser decisions where we don't experience the same complications and struggles that we did when we were young because we didn't know about this natural law of gravity. Well, there's all these other natural laws that the unenlightened mind doesn't understand. And because the mind doesn't understand these natural laws and these truths that the wisdom that the Buddha taught, we struggle in the world. 
the mind gets shaken up. It becomes discontent. And it's not until you learn these natural laws and you train the mind more and more to function with this newfound wisdom, just like you did as a child with gravity, that as you function with this newfound wisdom, then you'll find that your mind isn't shaken up the way that it has been in the past. You'll find that through learning and gaining this wisdom, awakening to this wisdom that the mind isn't shaken up the way it used to be and gradually you will improve the condition of the mind through training of the mind so today we're going to talk about the three universal truths which is essentially the very first teaching that anybody would need to understand to even get started with buddhist teachings and even get started on this path to enlightenment and then we're going to talk about the four noble truths which again is a foundational teaching in fact it's the very first teaching that the buddha shared after he attained enlightenment his first initial students the very first five students that he taught he shared the four noble truths and I'm going to share that with you because it lays the foundation to understand the problem with the unenlightened mind. And it lays the foundation to understand the solution of how we solve this problem. And then we're going to go through very specific things that can be cravings and show you the results of how these cravings impact the mind in our life. And then help you to understand the solution of how to implement various solutions to actually remedy the problem. So thank you for joining. I'm really pleased that you're here. You're gonna be able to ask questions as we go through our class. All you need to do is put your comments or your questions into the comment section of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. And we have moderators, Manal and Bassam, who will see those and make sure that they get asked during the class. And then if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand. And through electronically raising your hand, the moderators will call on you and you can ask any questions or follow-up questions directly as we go in our class. So feel free to think about what I'm discussing. Don't just believe what I'm discussing, but instead think about it, reflect on it, and help your mind to see the truth for yourself. And where you're having trouble seeing that truth, raise your hand or put a comment into the comment section and get clarity so that you can walk away from today's class having more wisdom and understanding of these natural laws so that then you can start functioning in the world very differently than you do previously to learning these truths. So let's go ahead and get started with talking about the three universal truths. The first universal truth to understand is all about impermanence. Impermanence is the very first universal truth that you need to understand to understand anything else in the Buddhist teachings. It's actually quite simple to understand. And the way that the Buddhist teachings are taught is they're independently verifiable. When I share with you the universal truth of impermanence, once I teach it to you, you should be able to reflect and look in the world around you and independently discover that it's truth so that you don't believe what I'm saying, but instead you listen, you investigate, you reflect, and then when you can independently discover that what I'm sharing with you is in fact a universal truth, then you've got wisdom, you've got more wisdom, and it's this wisdom that will liberate the mind from these strong feelings because then you will function in the world very differently than you did in the past. 
What I'm sharing with you today, we've already covered in this program about two times already, but it's been about two months since we've talked about this. So because it's such an important teaching, that's why in this program and in this book, it shows up a few different times because this is the building block for you to develop your practice and move to this enlightened mental state. So this universal truth of impermanence, the teaching is, is that everything is constantly changing. There's no permanent state. So essentially material objects, possessions, relationships, thoughts, ideas, states of mind, everything in the world is constantly changing. All conditioned feelings, any feeling that is based on some condition, it's going to arise and then it's going to cease to exist. This is why your sadness, it arises and then it ceases to exist. Your happiness arises and then it ceases to exist. Your boredom arises and it ceases to exist. All things that arise will cease to exist, just like that's the reason why we die. Because we were born, we die. Because we're impermanent. This physical body is impermanent. There is no steady, constant, or fixed state other than enlightenment itself. The mental state of enlightenment, once you attain it, it is permanent. It will last for the rest of your life. So that's the teaching, that everything around you is impermanent, meaning it's temporary. It's not permanent. You don't believe this. What you do is you look around the world and you try to determine whether or not this is true or not. Because if you can find one thing that's permanent, beyond what I've already shared, then you've disproven the Buddha. And you can essentially claim that the Buddhist teachings are not what they are said to be, and you can just ignore Buddhism and go on with your life for the rest of your life. But if you can't find something that's permanent, then you've discovered the truth, and you have wisdom to now know that everything is impermanent. And this becomes important as we talk about the problem of the mind in the Four Noble Truths. So this is a building block. So here's what you do is you ask yourself, is your hair permanent? Is it the same length, the same color all the time? The answer is no, it's constantly changing. What about this physical body? Has it been the same since you were born and it never changes, it's permanent and fixed? No, the body is impermanent, it's constantly changing. What about relationships? Have you had the same relationships your whole life and there isn't people coming and going out of your life all the time? So has your relationships been permanent and fixed in your life? The answer is no. You have people coming in and out of your life all the time. What about your job or your income? Have you had the same job or the same income your whole life? The answer is no. It's constantly changing. What about even the bed that you sleep in? Have you slept in the same exact bed your entire life because it's permanent and fixed? Or is sleeping in the same bed not something that you experience? You've been constantly changing and moving in and out of different beds, right? So what the Buddha is teaching you here as a building block to understand the problem of the mind is that all these things around us are impermanent. 
our material objects, possessions, relationships, our thoughts, our ideas, states of mind, everything's constantly changing. So you need to see that. And if you don't see that now, if you think that there is something that's permanent, you should put that in the comment section or raise your hand when we get to the question period so that we can clarify that for you. And if after this talk, you still don't think and you still can't see the truth that everything is impermanent, then you need to walk around for several days or several weeks and look and see if you can find anything that's permanent. Are trees permanent? Are leaves permanent? Is the sidewalk permanent? Is the place where you live permanent? Are your parents permanent? What's permanent? Nothing. But you've got to see the truth for yourself. You can't just believe what I'm saying. So this is the first of the three universal truths. And it comes to be very important as we talk about the four noble truths. The second of the universal truths is called discontentedness. What the Buddha explains here is that the unenlightened mind is going to experience discontentedness. And he describes discontentedness as three feelings. There's painful feelings that the unenlightened mind experiences, like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety. These are all painful feelings, and there's probably others that you might include in there as well. And then there's pleasant feelings that the unenlightened mind experiences, like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, exhilaration, euphoria. These are pleasant feelings that the mind experiences. And then there's feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And for me, I put in there boredom, loneliness, melancholy, shyness, kind of a displeased, uncomfortable, unsatisfied mind. Now, some people say, well, boredom and loneliness for them is very painful. And that's fine. You can put that into the painful category. But the fact is, is that the unenlightened mind experiences these three feelings, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. Now, once again, you don't believe this. What you do is you look in the mind and you look at various feelings you've had over the course of your life and you say, is there any feeling that you've had that doesn't map into one of these three? Because if you can figure out a feeling that doesn't get described by this universal truth, then you're more wise than the Buddha and this isn't actually explaining a universal truth. So if there's any feelings or states of mind that you've had that don't map into these three and you feel that it doesn't map into this, you should ask questions during the question period and make sure that you see how it maps into this. Because this is what the unenlightened mind is going to experience, is this discontentedness. This is the problem. The mind is shaken up with these discontent feelings. An enlightened mind, as you're going to see, doesn't experience these discontent feelings because these are all impermanent, conditioned feelings. They're based on some condition, where an enlightened mind is going to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy without any conditions whatsoever. The enlightened mind, when you wake up, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. All day long, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. When you go to sleep, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It's never shaken up by anything. 
And that's because an enlightened mind has the wisdom not to allow its inner feelings to be produced by some condition that is impermanent. A lot of people will refer to this universal truth as suffering. I don't use that word. The word that the Buddha used, or at least that we have in the Pali Canon, is dukkha. And then we translate that into English. And a lot of people will use the word suffering. And you'll hear people say that the Buddha taught to eliminate suffering. Well, that word suffering represents this painful feeling. You know, if you were sad, angry, frustrated, feeling guilt or shame or fear or stress or anxiety, you might say that you're suffering. And I would agree that when I used to feel those feelings, I was suffering for sure. But when you experience happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, you wouldn't say you were suffering. But we can say the mind's discontent. And likewise, when you're shy, you probably wouldn't say that you were suffering when you were shy. So this word discontentedness actually encapsulates the full description of what the Buddha was talking about. If we use the word suffering, like some places do, then we're only talking about 33% of what the Buddha was actually discussing. But by using this word discontent, discontented, or discontentedness, we fully encapsulate these painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And this is what we're eliminating in the enlightened mind. Now, it might have just kind of caught your attention there, like, hold on a second. We're eliminating happiness as part of the enlightened mind? What do you mean, David? I'm not interested in eliminating happiness. Well, the happiness that we experience in the unenlightened state is its conditioned happiness. It's based on some condition. And because of that impermanent condition, the happiness is temporary. We might say, I'm happy because I got a new car, or I'm happy because I got a new job, or I'm happy because I got a new girlfriend, or I'm happy because I got more money. Well, all of those conditions are impermanent, which means your happiness is impermanent. This is the reason why you haven't been able to experience permanent happiness, because we're taught throughout the world to base our happiness on some external condition. We're taught that if you're wealthy, you're going to be happy. Or if you have a nice car, you're going to be happy. Or if you have a nice job, you're going to be happy. Or if you have a husband or wife or a child, you're going to be happy. And these things are going to make you happy. Well, if that's the case, then why would rich people commit suicide? right? Why would celebrities commit suicide if fame and fortune is what creates permanent happiness? So that's part of the delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality in the unenlightened mind is the unenlightened mind is going to attempt to base its inner feelings on some impermanent condition. And that's why the mind becomes happy and then it goes sad or it becomes excited and thrilled and then it becomes sad. So the unenlightened mind is gonna base these pleasant feelings on some impermanent condition. But in an enlightened mind, as you learn and you train the mind, you learn that basing your inner feelings on some impermanent condition is only gonna lead to sadness and anger because this happiness based on impermanent conditions 
is temporary. So the enlightened mind stops basing its inner feelings on some impermanent condition and instead it experiences this unconditioned joy where the mind is just always joyful. This is one of the reasons why they call Thailand the land of smiles because here in Thailand all these people who are practicing Buddhist teachings they training their mind to be unaffected by external conditions. So through training the mind to not be attached or holding on to these impermanent conditions, the mind can then experience unconditioned joy where it can find joy just because of joy. You're just always joyful. You're not basing it on any particular condition. And we're going to get into that more when we talk about the Four Noble Truths. So this discontentedness is the primary problem. This is the problem. We haven't talked about the cause of that problem yet, but this is the problem, is that the unenlightened mind is continually shaken up by painful feelings, pleasant feelings, neither painful nor pleasant. And as long as the mind becomes happy, excited, elated, thrilled, euphoric, have you ever had those experiences and then you fell down and hurt yourself or you dropped your mobile phone and broke it or some other unfortunate event happened because you were so happy you lost your concentration and something crumbled right on the other side of that because you allowed the mind to get into that happy excited euphoric state that it only ended up crashing a few hours or a few days later that's the whole problem with the unenlightened mind is it experiences these highs and lows in this discontentedness but through training the mind, you bring the mind into the middle where it no longer experiences those highs and lows like that. It's just always peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So this second universal truth is all about understanding how the unenlightened mind is experiencing discontentedness. And it's these three feelings that are the problem. And we're going to talk about how to eliminate these later in the Four Noble Truths. The third universal truth is called non-self. This is a little bit more challenging for most people to understand when they first get started. So if you don't understand this right now, it's okay, because it usually takes many, many conversations and discussions to understand this. But let me just explain it very basic to a certain level, and then we'll move on to questions and see what questions you guys have about all of these. The universal truth of non-self is basically helping you to understand that there is no permanent self. What we mean by that is the unenlightened mind thinks falsely, mistakenly, misunderstands and thinks that this physical body is you, that this is who you are, like this is David, or this is Judith, or this is Manal or this is Donna, or this is Josh, that you think that this physical body is you, or that this mind is you, that it's who you are. So you might say, I am angry, right? Or I am hungry. You're not hungry because there is no you. The physical body is hungry. You aren't mad. There's anger in the mind. But that anger is not you. That's not who you are. It's just a feeling that has arisen in the mind. So the unenlightened mind will take ownership over this physical body and over this mind, thinking 
that this physical body and mind is who you are. And because of that self-identity and self-image, then when you hear agreeable things, when someone says, oh, your eyes are so beautiful, or I love your jewelry, your hair looks so nice today. Ah, the mind hears this agreeable speech about the self-image and you get happy, you get excited, you get elated. But then the problem is when someone's like, ah, I don't like your jewelry. Or what did you do to your hair today? Something's off with your hair. Well, then the mind's going to experience sadness or frustration or anger because of this disagreeable words about the physical body because you're identifying. You're falsely identifying with this physical body as being you. Or maybe your mind identifies with being a hard worker and being kind and polite. And that's who you feel you are as a person. So then when somebody says something agreeable, you're such a hard worker. You're so kind. You're so polite. You're so respectful. Ah, you get happy. You get excited. You get elated. And then that's temporary because somebody else is like, why are you so lazy? You're so unkind. Why are you so rude and disrespectful? And then your mind becomes sad or angry or frustrated at that situation and at that person because you've heard something disagreeable about the self-identity. And now the unenlightened mind struggles because it hears these agreeable and disagreeable things about the self-image and about the self-identity. And when it hears things that it likes and it's agreeable, it experiences these pleasant feelings. And when it hears something that it doesn't like and it's disagreeable, it experiences these painful feelings. And it wants to push all of these painful feelings out of your life. And you find it difficult to reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because all it takes is somebody commenting negatively about your self-image or your self-identity and the mind is shaken up because it's identifying with this physical body and this mind as being who you are as a person. And what the Buddha is sharing with you is there is no self. You need to stop falsely identifying with this physical body or with this mind as being the self. Now that's easier said than done. There's a whole lot of training that has to go on in order to train the mind to let go of that concept, of that misunderstanding, that false belief that this physical body or mind is you. And it takes time to get there. And this is something that's usually approached later in practice. But hopefully you can see with just this short little talk about non-self, about how the mind holding on to a self in the mind that it's causing problems and complications, where now the unrelated mind is kind of fearful and it's looking out for this disagreeable speech. And as soon as somebody looks at you the wrong way, or as soon as somebody says something negative about the physical body or your self-identity, now the mind takes exception with that and wants to push these people away. And the mind can't reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because it's fearful and it's being protective to look out for who's going to say what next and being upset or experiencing these painful feelings when somebody says something disagreeable. So let me pause here now that we've talked about these three universal truths and see what questions you guys have 
Remember, you can put your question into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom, and our moderators will be sure your question gets asked during the class. So, Manal and Bassam, I'll just turn things over to you guys to see if there's any questions before we move on to the Four Noble Truths. Okay, um, I have a question about uh, the first two uh, truths. A, uh, as far as I understand that all uh, kinds, the three categories of uh, feelings, are uh, causing discontentedness because they are old and permanent. What about joy? I know that uh, Nibbana is defined as content, uh, calm, serene, and uh, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So joy here, when, uh, when we are talking about Nibbana, is it permanent? Is it not a kind of uh, feelings? Okay, so let me help clarify something for you based on the way you asked that question. The painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant, they're not causing the discontentedness. But because the mind is experiencing painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant, we can classify the mind or describe it as discontent discontented or discontentedness. So we haven't talked about the cause of these painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant yet. That's in the Four Noble Truths. But if the mind is sad, it's discontent. If the mind's angry or frustrated, it's discontent. That's discontentedness. If the mind is guilty or shameful or feeling fear or stress or anxiety, it's experiencing discontentedness. But also, if the mind is happy, excited, elated, thrilled, exhilarated, euphoric, it's also discontent. It's discontented or discontentedness. And same thing, if the mind is bored or lonely or melancholy or shy or displeased or uncomfortable or unsatisfied, the mind is discontent, discontented or discontentedness. The cause of this is going to be described next. So... First, let's be sure that we understand that the feelings being in the mind, we can now classify all of this as being discontent, discontented, or discontentedness. The enlightened mind isn't going to experience these feelings. The enlightened mind isn't going to be sad, angry, frustrated, irritated, annoyed, guilty, shameful, fearful, stress, anxiety, the enlightened mind doesn't experience that whatsoever. It's been trained to no longer experience those feelings. Same thing with these pleasant feelings, happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, all of these pleasant feelings, as you're going to hear me talk about in the Four Noble Truths, they're based on some impermanent condition. And this impermanent condition only exists temporarily. So if the mind is happy because of a new car, that's going to eventually fade and wear off. And that impermanent feeling of happiness is going to fade. An enlightened mind, if they get a new car, they just get a new car and they just need it for transportation. They don't take great pleasure and find their joy based on this new car. Because an enlightened mind is wise enough to know that that new car is impermanent. And if it bases its inner feelings on this new car, then it's only a matter of time before that fades. So through 
consistent ongoing training of the mind, which involves an entire path to enlightenment, then the enlightened mind is gradually trained to no longer base its inner feelings on some impermanent condition like a new car. Instead, the enlightened mind is brought to the middle where it's perfectly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy no matter what's going on around you. If you're driving a brand new Rolls Royce, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. If you're driving a beat up old car, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because the enlightened mind no longer identifies with this car as being who you are. An enlightened mind can ride in a beat up 50 year old car and be just as joyful as driving in a brand new Rolls Royce that costs a million dollars. That an enlightened mind doesn't base its inner feelings on this impermanent thing, this material object. Hey, a question from Amina. She says, greeting all, teacher David, a question. Today my brother-in-law told my husband and I that we are bad parents for allowing our child to wear a mask for COVID. Initially, my breath started to quicken, but uh, then I pushed away that discontent feeling and thanked him for his concern and invited him to understand that our child is in transition and that she is taking her time with being comfortable around people. And we respect that. He continued to yell and we didn't respond. So the initial feeling of discontentedness felt was that due to craving of being understood by family or not being realized oneself and thus took the comments personally or both. Amina, let's talk about that when we get into the Four Noble Truths so that we can talk about the cause of the problem first. And then we'll use this as an example to help you and others to see how that initial discontentedness is experienced. Well, a question from Anastasio. He says, if self do not exist, then what, subside, uh, what substitute, substitutes the self? What happens when you train in these teachings, you eradicate the belief or the misunderstanding that there is a self. Because the unenlightened mind has this false belief, this false understanding that there is a self. And once you eradicate that from the mind, then you can see clearly that really all that exists is this physical body and then there's this mind and it's just a living being. Essentially, what we've got here is we've got a big bag of skin with a whole bunch of bones and fluid and other things like tissue inside this big bag of skin. And then we've got this consciousness or this mind that is giving us some awareness. And at death, the consciousness and the physical body will break up and separate. They're two separate things. That's why the physical body just will lay there when it dies, because without a consciousness, it can't do anything. So what really truly exists is just a big bag of bones and fluid and tissue with a consciousness. But at birth, we're given this name 
And this name is given to us to make it easy for people to refer to us. Because my grandmother couldn't say to my mom, uh, did that big bag of bones and fluid and skin come home from school yet? No, they had to say, did David come home from school yet? Because that's how people refer to us. But the problem is, is that as we grow up, we start identifying with this name and we start taking ownership over this name and the unenlightened mind starts to falsely identify this physical body and this mind as being who we are. But in reality, we're not this physical body because this body is impermanent and this mind is impermanent. This isn't who we are. So this particular teaching takes a lot of time to understand. There's a lot of other things to learn. And I know that you just joined us for the first time today. So just understand that if you're not fully understanding non-self right now, don't worry, it's okay. Because there's plenty of time as you grow in your practice to understand this more deeply. But the problem here with this self is that it will keep getting in the way. And that's where people become selfish. We become self-centered. We have selfish desires. We end up becoming very angry and upset when we start hearing disagreeable things about the self-identity or self-image. And by understanding true reality that we aren't this physical body and we aren't this mind, then the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Okay, so uh, let's go to Ray Manal. Yes, we have a question on YouTube from RB3. Is the teaching of with the impermanence, will it change over time or would it always remain the same? I've noticed that some religions do change their teachings to become more modern. The Buddhist teachings are all teaching the natural laws of existence. And the natural laws of existence haven't changed from the lifetime of the Buddha until now. So 2,500 years ago when the Buddha taught he taught the natural laws of existence, essentially like gravity. He taught the natural laws. And today, those natural laws are still exactly the same. So his teachings are timeless. The problem is, what you're cluing into, is that from what he taught 2,500 years ago to what people are understanding today has changed. The natural laws of existence haven't changed. The Buddha himself, when he taught, he taught what existed, but because of impermanence and over 2,500 years, people have kind of gradually changed the teachings. But what my role and what my goal is for the teachings that I share is sharing what it is that Gautama Buddha shared, because what he shared was the truth. And his truth, you can independently see it for yourself. And that's why nothing he taught is based on belief. So if anybody changes his teachings, and there have been people without them probably even realizing that they've gradually changed his teachings over 2,500 years, if they do or you encounter a teacher who has changed the teachings, then you should be able to independently confirm whether those teachings are true or not. And that's why there's no belief here. So when I share with you the Four Noble Truths, for example, and when I share with you these teachings, you can independently confirm for yourself whether it's true or not. And then you come to understand the teachings and wisdom. So what leads to enlightenment is what the Buddha actually taught. 
But today we have many teachers, many books, many traditions that have really veered off away from the Buddhist teachings. And it's not until you sync up with a teacher who has direct access to the Buddhist teachings in his own words and someone who's practiced very, very deeply to experience the results of an enlightened mind that as you sync up with those teachers, that you're able to then deeply understand the teachings of the Buddha and then bring them into your own life in a way that you can independently see the truth for yourself. Because as people have made changes throughout history, those make the path harder and harder to see and it makes it more and more challenging for people to attain enlightenment. That's why during the lifetime of the Buddha, there were countless people who attained enlightenment and for 500 years after his death. But then over the course of 2,500 years, the number of people that are attaining enlightenment has slowly decreased. And that's because people aren't understanding his teachings because of impermanence. They're gradually fading out of the world. And what I'm doing is part of the teaching that I do with all the books and resources and videos and podcasts and classes and personal guidance and all of these things that I share is all about helping people see exactly what he taught 2,500 years ago. So then you can go off and practice these things and see the truth for yourself as the condition of the mind gradually improves. And as the condition of your mind gradually improves, that's how you know you're learning the truth. Because if you're diminishing your painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, and the mind is becoming more and more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, you know that your mind is experiencing this more enlightened mental state and it's gradually awakening. So that's how you can determine whether or not you're learning the truth is by not believing, but independently confirming the teachings for yourself. And as you practice them, you see the condition of the mind gradually improve. We also, RB3 also asks, are the three universal truths permanent or will they change over time? They won't change because the three universal truths are the natural laws of existence, just like the Four Noble Truths, just like the Eightfold Path, just like the natural law of Gamma, all the Buddhist teachings are exactly the same. They're timeless. Now, the way that people explain them from person to person might be slightly different. So where I say painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, some people say unpleasant feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither unpleasant or pleasant, right? So you might see a slight difference in the way people explain it, but I'm using these words and I explain through all the resources that I use why I'm using these particular words to describe the Buddhist teachings because the Buddha didn't speak in English. So we're drawing and extrapolating his teachings into our language so that people can deeply understand them. And when you work together and seek guidance with a teacher, they can very closely guide you and help you understand the language they're using and help you see the truth independently of their teachings. And their teaching shouldn't be based on belief. So these three universal truths are the same universal truths that you will see in anybody who's teaching what the Buddha actually taught. He taught these same three universal truths. 
The Buddha didn't call them the three universal truths. That's a new thing that we've done to kind of group them together. But when you see the Buddhist teachings in his own language, in his own words, he will describe these three things. We, meaning after his death, came up with this name of the three universal truths. Some people call them the three marks of existence, or some people will call them the three characteristics of the universe, right? So I use this term, the three universal truths, because it matches up and syncs up really nicely with the four noble truths. There are no more questions on YouTube and Facebook. All right, so let's move on to the four noble truths then. As we do, it's important to understand what we're going to be talking about in terms of craving, desire, attachment. This is the problem in the unenlightened mind that we're going to describe as part of the Four Noble Truths. But the way that different people explain this because of impermanence, like the student just asked, people explain it different ways. So if you're going to learn with me, it's important that you understand how I describe this so that you can see the truth for yourself craving desire attachment we also use words like expectations or wants or holding or grasping this is how the mind has mental longing for something with a strong eagerness this is how the mind is pulling towards something like you applied for a certain job and you just want that job so badly. You just want it, want it, want it, and you're obsessing about that new job and you just can't wait to get it. That's a craving, desire, attachment. Or there's a new pair of shoes or a new movie or a new computer or something that you really want, like a new car or something, and you just want it so badly. This is the mind craving, desiring, attaching, having this mental longing for something with a strong eagerness. If you're single and you just really, really want a boyfriend or a girlfriend, that's craving, desire, attachment. You're not a bad person. You haven't done anything wrong. It's just how the unenlightened mind works is it has these constant cravings, desires, attachments, expectations, wants. It's longing for something. It's yearning for something. It has this strong eagerness. And what you're going to see in the Four Noble Truths is this is the problem. This is the cause of all discontentedness in the mind. Because if the mind gets what it's longing for, then it's happy, it's excited, it's elated. But if it doesn't get it, then it experiences painful feelings, sadness, anger, frustration. So if you get that job that you applied for and you really want that job so badly, then you feel happy and excited. But within three to six months, that wears off because now you're working the job and you're like, oh, I don't like this job so much anymore. And you want to switch jobs. That happiness is impermanent. But if you really want that job and you applied for it and then you get the phone call that you didn't get the job, now you're angry, you're frustrated, you're irritated because of this problem. This is the primary problem. Craving is the problem. Craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing for something, the mind pulling towards something. You know, you want something. It's like the object of your affection. You want a new house. You want a new partner. You want a new baby. You want a new car. You want a new job. You want new jewelry. You want more income. You want this. You want that. You want this. And the mind just keeps cycling through all these wants and wants and wants. So this is what a craving desire attachment is. It's not the actual material object itself. 
It's the way the mind longs for that material object. Or it's not the actual relationship itself. Because you can have a relationship and attain enlightenment. You can have a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife and attain enlightenment. But it's when the mind longs for it and wants it so badly and holds it so tightly with that strong eagerness. That's what's causing the discontentedness. So let's move on and talk about the Four Noble Truths so that you can see the truth for yourself. Not to believe these, but to understand them and see the truth for yourself. That in daily life, you can prove that these are the truth yourself. That's how you independently confirm the teachings and you arrive to the wisdom of these teachings. So the first of the Four Noble Truths. Everyone that is unenlightened will experience discontentedness. So if you experience painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, and those feelings are temporary, then you know that you're unenlightened. So if you experience sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, happiness, excitement, elation, euphoria, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, all of these feelings, then you know you're unenlightened because you experience discontentedness. No big deal. There's lots of unenlightened people in the world. So the goal is to attain enlightenment so you no longer experience these discontent feelings. But that's the first noble truth as the way that I explain it, is that everyone that is unenlightened will experience discontentedness. Now the second noble truth. This is the cause or the origin of why the mind is discontent. Discontentedness is caused by our own craving, desire, attachments. Because the mind wants everything to be permanent when everything in the world is impermanent. So I'll say that again and I'll give you some examples. Discontentedness is caused by our own mental longing and strong eagerness. This yearning, this craving, desire, attachments. Because the mind wants things to be permanent when everything in the world is impermanent. So if you've had a boyfriend and girlfriend or husband, wife, what have you, and you guys have been in a relationship and then you split and separated, if you were angry or you were sad or you were frustrated, it wasn't the other person who caused you to be angry or frustrated or irritated. You actually caused it yourself. That's what the second noble truth is telling you. You're causing all the anger and frustration yourself because your mind wanted this relationship to be permanent. Your mind was holding on to this relationship so tightly that then when it ended, for whatever reason, the mind became discontent because it was holding on so tightly. This yearning, this longing, this strong eagerness for things to remain permanent. The unenlightened mind didn't understand that everything's impermanent. This relationship's going to end. Either we're going to split, we're going to move to different places, our interests and goals are going to change, one of us are going to die first, right? And when one of us die, the other person is left behind. That's just impermanence. It's part of life. So this 
cause of discontentedness is all inside of our own mind. We're causing it ourselves. Another example, if you get a brand new car and you drive off the lot, you go park at a store, you go inside and you get something inside, and then you come out and you see a scratch on the car. The mind can be enraged. It can be angry. And you might say, the person who scratched my car made me angry. The person who scratched your car didn't make you angry. You caused your own anger because the mind was craving for this car to be permanent. It wanted this shiny red sports car to be shiny and red permanently. And when it wasn't that way, the mind became discontent. The mind became so happy and so excited when it got this brand new car that then when it saw the impermanence of the scratch, that's what caused the mind to be discontent. We're not talking about what's right or wrong here, right? In the ideal world, nobody would scratch our car. We're not talking about whether the person was right or wrong to scratch our car. We're just talking about why is the mind experiencing discontentedness? Well, it's because the mind has this mental longing with a strong eagerness, wanting things to be permanent, and it doesn't understand that everything is impermanent. And this is very important to understand that we are causing our own discontentedness. And that's the reason why we can eliminate it. That's why the unenlightened mind can become enlightened where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently because you're the one that's causing all the sadness, anger, and frustration. If other people are causing us to be angry and frustrated, that means we have to train the entire world to do things our way which is impossible. And that's typically what the unenlightened mind wants to do. It wants to go around and train everybody to do things your way. It wants things to be a certain way in the world. And when they aren't that way, that's when the mind becomes discontent. So the unenlightened mind will oftentimes go around and try to tell other people what to do because you want to see things in the world happen a certain way. You're uncomfortable with this impermanence. The mind is uncomfortable with things constantly changing. It doesn't like this impermanence. So therefore, the unenlightened mind is going to try to train everyone else to do things your way instead of realizing that you're causing your own discontentedness and all you've got to do is train your mind to understand these natural laws of existence. So this is a perfect example with Amina's question where her brother-in-law was trying to tell her what to do with her child and trying to train Amina and her husband of what to do because he craved permanence. He didn't want to see a child wearing a mask and in his mind that was wrong. So therefore he said something to her which makes the relationship rough and now there maybe is a bit of feeling of distance where he said something where he's trying to control a person who isn't part of his life, you know, in a significant way that he has no place to actually tell somebody else what to do. It's his own craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness where he wants things a certain way permanently. And because of that, he said something that could maybe be looked at as maybe disrespectful potentially. And then Amina on her side, because she's interested in being a good parent and ensuring that she's doing good things for her child, when she heard this 
disagreeable thing that somebody was kind of alluding to the fact that she was potentially a bad parent that's when that self that self-identity was like hold on a second i'm a good parent i'm taking care of my daughter and then that discontentedness arose in the mind because your mind amino was interested in having this permanent pleasant feelings where people are talking in an agreeable way the mind isn't used to hearing disagreeable things so because the mind heard this disagreeable thing there's this craving desire attachment this yearning to be a good mother and when you heard something the opposite of that that's why that discontentedness arose for a short period but since you've been training you cut that off and let it go so the second noble truth is helping you to see that you are the cause of discontentedness in the unenlightened state when we become angry or frustrated or feeling a certain discontentedness we will typically blame other people and we will typically push them out of our life and this is trying to create a perfect little bubble because the mind doesn't understand that it's actually causing its own discontentedness it thinks that this person who said something disagreeable to us is the cause of our discontentedness so we try to push this person out of our life it's called aversion and we think that that's what we need to do in order to create peacefulness in our life is push away all these painful feelings but in reality that's a delusion that in reality we're actually causing our discontentedness ourselves and by training the mind to understand that and to practice these teachings we can actually get to a point where the mind is peaceful calm serene and content with joy even when we hear something disagreeable like what amina experienced where somebody was commenting about her child you can just respond out of wisdom which is what amina ultimately did was just said thank you for your concern i understand what you're sharing or whatever she said and then just move on with her day rather than being upset about it because there's no benefit in being upset about somebody saying something like that right so this is the second universal truth that we're causing it ourselves that's the cause of the problem of discontentedness the third noble truth is explaining the elimination of discontentedness is possible by eliminating craving desire attachment so when we eliminate this longing with a strong eagerness then we eliminate our discontentedness so that when we go to apply for a job we apply for the job we do our best we fill out the application we submit our resume we do our interview and we say you know what it'd be great if i got that job but if i don't get it that's fine too because there's other jobs out here or when you're signing the paper of that brand new car you should already know in your mind it's not going to look like this permanently or when you go out into the world and you are with a certain partner you have to always remember this is impermanent while i'm having these great feelings with my husband or my wife or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my children this is all impermanent my children are going to grow up someday they're going to go to college they're going to get married we're not going to be together as much it's impermanent this is why people cry at weddings because of the attachment because of the craving it's not because of love love doesn't cause us to cry it's the craving desire attachment it's trying to hold on to your daughter or hold on to your son that when they get married 
people cry. Or when they go off to college, people cry. Why? Because of the longing with a strong eagerness to hold on to them permanently. You want them to be that little boy or little girl permanently living in your home. So when they go away to college, then mom and dad cry, right? Because the mind doesn't understand impermanence. Or when they get married, mom and dad cry because they're trying to hold on to them too tightly, right? So by eliminating this craving, desire, attachment, where you live with your children or you live with your partner or you have these different material possessions in your and you need them in order to sustain your life, but you realize they're all impermanent. So when the phone drops and it breaks, you understand it's impermanent. Of course, you try to protect the phone, you try to put a cover on it, you try to take good care of it and make sure that it lasts as long as possible. But at some point, this phone is either going to fall and break, it's going to get stolen, it's going to stop working, something's going to happen to this phone that it no longer is going to work and be in your possession because it's impermanent. And when it stops working or when it gets stolen or when it breaks, why be angry? Why be frustrated? Because it's just impermanent. It's following these natural laws of existence, the universal truth of impermanence. So by you eliminating the holding on to this phone, when it falls and breaks, it's kind of like, that makes sense because it's impermanent. Or if you lose it, that makes sense because, you know, it's impermanent. It doesn't mean you try to lose it. It doesn't mean you don't go try to find it and recover it. It just means that if your mind is calm and peaceful, then it's not shaken up just because you lost the phone, right? And that's what you can get to when you train the mind through the solution that we're going to talk about of how to train the mind to eliminate this craving, desire, attachment, you can then get to this point where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy when you eradicate the cause of the discontentedness. When you eliminate this pollution from the mind of craving, desire, attachment, then once that's eradicated, the mind isn't holding on to things so tightly that then the mind understands impermanence that things are gonna come and go and it doesn't hold on so tightly so it won't get shaken up when things are coming in and out of your life. And the way that we do that is through the fourth noble truth. The fourth noble truth is the path to eliminating discontentedness is the eightfold path. There's eight distinct steps that the Buddha teaches as part of this life practice that we learn these teachings of the eightfold path, we implement them into our life, and gradually, as we practice them more and more, we see that the condition of the mind gradually improves. And by learning these teachings and implementing them, you will see that once when you were extremely angry or frustrated with something, that starts to soften more and more, and you're able to just maybe feel a slight annoyance, and then eventually, you can just cut that off and those feelings won't even arise at all. The same exact thing can happen where a brother-in-law can say something about your child and you just let it go. You just smile or say something polite or just move on with your day. It doesn't arise any discontentedness whatsoever. And that's when the mind's moving closer and closer to enlightenment. And you can see the softening of those feelings because you're practicing the Eightfold Path which is a whole different teaching. So let me share with you that here in the Four Noble Truths, what the Buddha is essentially doing is with the first Noble Truths, he explaining the problem. 
He's explaining all unenlightened minds are going to experience discontentedness. That's the problem. The second noble truth is explaining the cause of the problem. Craving, desire, attachment, expectations, wants, craving, permanence. The third noble truth is explaining the solution to the problem, which is eliminating craving, desire, attachment. And the fourth noble truth is explaining the complete solution to the problem because there's a whole life practice that you need to learn and practice in order to eradicate this discontentedness. It's not as simple as just sitting in one class and learning this and then you're going to be able to instantly eliminate discontentedness. There's a whole path that's going to take you multiple years to learn and practice. And as you do, you'll see the improvements as you go. So are there any questions on the Four Noble Truths? This teacher, David, had a quick question. Mm -hmm. So the Four Noble Truths um, and um, other teachings of the Buddha, um, the Three Universal Truths, the Eightfold Path, Three Poisons, etc., were they considered to be essentially natural laws? The Buddha uses a term similar to this in his teachings, but I refer to them as the natural laws of existence, where the Buddha refers to them as natural laws. Uh, but I add that additional word of existence that I've seen uh, because the Buddha described his teachings as timeless. He said, you know, that these are timeless teachings and they're just as applicable during his life as they are today because he's teaching about these natural laws of existence. Okay, and as you mentioned earlier, all conditioned things are of nature to decay. So mm -hmm. anything that is arisen has a, a tendency, a nature to decay. So if we know that that is true, and also due to impermanence along the centuries that we come to today, that the teaching of Gautama Buddha himself has changed, then how are, to, how are we to say that the natural laws of existence as we are being taught right now are also impermanent in nature? Right, because once you get in touch with his actual teachings and you get the source teachings and you learn them and you practice them, you can see that they're actually describing what exists today. You can see as I walk through this that if you take these teachings and you reflect on them and you practice them in daily life, you can see the truth for yourself that you can independently confirm that every time you become angry or sad or frustrated, there's some craving, desire, attachment that's causing it. You'll be able to see it yourself. And that's how you independently confirm the words that I'm sharing with you are the truth and they're describing the natural laws of existence. And then when you implement the solutions to these problems through the Eightfold Path, then as you implement these solutions and you see the condition of the mind gradually improving, then you know that you're learning the truth in the natural laws because you see the truth for yourself that the condition of the mind's gradually improving. So independent sort of investigation and inquiry and applying a solution applying the solutions uh, would be the way to discover the truth within um, the teaching of Gautama Buddha. 
Yes, that's the only way that I know of to awaken the mind to enlightenment is that you've got to see the truth for yourself that none of these teachings are based on belief and that's how you know if you're in any venues that are teaching the Buddhist teachings and it's all talking about belief or faith or some rites or rituals or ceremonies or worship or something like this. He never taught any of that stuff. But that's what some people have started to include in the teachings over many generations. The real teachings of the Buddha, when you see his real teachings, which I'm publishing books more and more that have those words, you can see the truth for yourself in those teachings. And as you do independent inquiry and investigation, examination of his teachings, and then you apply them in life, you can see them all around you. One of the famous quotes of the Buddha is, one who sees me sees the teachings, and one who sees the teachings sees me. Essentially what he's saying is I'm a living, breathing, walking example of my teachings. That if you were in the presence of the Buddha, his mind was so peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy that he never got angry, he never got frustrated, never irritated, never bored, never lonely, all of those things. But also, the more you understand the teachings, you can look around the world and you can see that yes, everything's impermanent. And you can look around the world and you can see discontentedness and you can see these three feelings. And you can see the cause of those feelings or craving, desire, attachments. Like the examples I gave you with boyfriend, girlfriends, or a brand new car. You can see for yourself the truth the more you investigate and examine them. And that's how you acquire wisdom. It's the same thing if anybody ever grew up with Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, right? At one point, you believed in the Tooth Fairy. You believed in Santa Claus. And maybe your parents kind of created this belief in your mind. But at some point, you learned the truth. You saw the truth for yourself, that there was no such thing as Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. And at some point, you came to that independent realization based on truth. And when you saw that with your own eyes, it doesn't matter how many Christmas carols you hear. It doesn't matter how many Santa Clauses you see in the local mall. You know that Santa Claus doesn't exist because you know the truth. Your mind is unshakable on that topic. Well, your mind in the unenlightened state, it doesn't understand the truth about the natural laws of existence. It's ignorance or unknowing of true reality about these natural laws. But the more that you see the truth for yourself and you acquire wisdom in these teachings, then your mind won't be shaken up by all the various things that are happening around you because you've independently discovered the truth. A teacher's role is to guide you is to share the teachings through books and videos, podcasts, personal discussions, classes, things like this. But in order to get to enlightenment, each practitioner has to do the work to investigate and examine these teachings and see the truth for themselves to acquire wisdom and then apply these teachings more and more in your life. And that's how the mind awakens to this enlightened mental state where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because the decisions that you make in the unenlightened state, you no longer make those same decisions. You no longer conduct yourself in the world the same way in the unenlightened state as you do as the mind moves closer and closer to enlightenment. You start 
doing things differently in the world based on this newfound wisdom that you find in these natural laws of existence. Okay, thank you. There doesn't appear to be any more questions on Facebook and YouTube. Well, uh, Josh uh, has his hand raised, so let's go to him. Hello, David. Um, I have a question here from me and my wife. Um, we're trying to figure out how it's possible for a human being to basically eliminate all feelings, right? And if that's if that's possible for a human being to do, or if Gautama Buddha wasn't fully human, or if he was <laughs> a different, I'm, I'm not sure how to explain it, but basically my wife's trying to understand how it's possible for a human being to eliminate all feelings because she doesn't really see that as being something that's attainable. Yeah, this is a common question when people first start learning because you see all those feelings that I've listed and it's kind of like, those are all the feelings that I have. And you think that if you eliminated all that stuff that you must just be emotionless, right? Well, that's not entirely true. So all those feelings that we list as painful, pleasant, neither painful nor pleasant, those are temporary feelings based on some impermanent condition. So you eliminate that impermanence of the happiness or the impermanence of the excitement. The enlightened mind is still going to joke, still going to laugh, still going to have fun, still going to enjoy life. So you're still going to have feelings. It's just that the mind won't dwell in those feelings. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been in mixed company? Someone tells a joke, everybody laughs, feels great. And then another joke comes, everybody laughs, feels great, laughs, feels great. And you kind of dwell in, the, in that happiness. And then when it's all over, you kind of feel empty inside, right? Well, an enlightened mind is still going to laugh and joke and have fun, but they're going to bring their mind right back to the middle where it's not dwelling in the feeling and it doesn't need that joke to experience the joy. So it's the difference between the conditioned mind that we're conditioning our internal feelings on some impermanent condition versus the enlightened mind is what we call unconditioned, where it's still going to have feelings, it's still going to have thoughts, it's still going to have ideas, but it's not basing any internal feelings on these impermanent conditions. So the Buddha still joked, the Buddha still laughed, the Buddha still had a personality, the Buddha still experienced enjoyment in life, but he just didn't allow his mind to long for it and crave for it and want it all the time, that he was able to bring the mind to the middle where it was concentrated and focused and not basing its inner feelings on some impermanent condition. It's hard, it's very difficult for the unenlightened mind to understand what enlightenment is because you haven't experienced it. The best way to understand the enlightened mind is to experience it. So when you eradicate all these conditioned impermanent feelings and the mind moves more and more to being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, and it's just always joyful, you'll understand what it is. It's definitely what you would be interested to attain because the pollution of the mind is out 
and you just always are peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. The mind is never shaken up by anything. So I guess a follow-up question for that would be, when the, let's say someone who has an enlightened mind um, and someone decides they're going to yell at them. Like, for example, someone's yelling at the Buddha. They're upset for some reason. Mm-hmm. Does the Buddha feel the frustration of being yelled at, but then lets that frustration go immediately? Or do they not feel the frustration at all? They don't feel the frustration at all. They just look at it through true reality, which what it is is that person is yelling at them because they lack wisdom, they lack moral conduct, and they lack mental discipline. That person is having some craving, desire, attachment, and they're causing their own anger. And because of their them causing their own anger and being frustrated, it's coming into their speech, and now they're yelling. But they're not yelling at me, or they're not yelling at the Buddha. They're yelling at this physical body. Because once the mind no longer has a self, you don't look at it as this person's yelling at me because there is no me. There's just a physical body and a mind here. So when this person is yelling or frustrated, an enlightened being or a Buddha will know that that person is causing their own frustration, that they didn't do anything. The Buddha didn't do anything to cause that person's frustration. That person's causing it themselves. So there's no benefit in the Buddha becoming frustrated because somebody's yelling at him. That's not going to help anything. So the mind has been so trained that it understands impermanence that if somebody speaks kind and friendly and polite to the Buddha, the mind is unaffected. The mind doesn't feel pleasant feelings just because someone's being polite and kind and respectful. And likewise, if somebody's yelling or hollering or disrespectful, the mind doesn't feel any painful feelings or frustration or sadness just because somebody's yelling because an enlightened mind understands impermanence that people can't permanently be polite, kind and friendly with you. That's not possible. As long as you exist in this world, there's going to be people who are polite and there's going to be people who are disrespectful. You can't have permanent politeness in your life. So a enlightened mind or the Buddha would have had his mind trained so well that it doesn't matter what people say. Polite, kind, friendly, respectful, unaffected, just completely stable and steady. Impolite, unkind, unfriendly, disrespectful speech from somebody, unaffected because it's their lack of wisdom, their moral conduct, and that person's mental discipline that's causing them to be frustrated. And the Buddha can just remain peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Okay, thanks, Richard. No more questions for now. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to the next part of this chapter to help you see some of the potential cravings. It doesn't mean these things are cravings. It just means there's the potential. Because remember, what a craving desire attachment is, is it's the mental longing with a strong eagerness. It's the mind wanting to hold on to these things permanently. So this first one, for example, the automobile itself isn't the craving. See, some people misunderstand what a craving desire attachment is. They think that because monks don't drive cars, for example, 
that we have to give up our car in order to eliminate our craving, desire, attachment. But that's not true. What you need to eliminate is you need to eliminate the mind's longing with a strong eagerness to have a car or to keep the car permanently and understand that this car is subject to impermanence, that it's going to work sometimes and sometimes it's going to break down. Sometimes it's going to need new tires and sometimes it'll run on those same tires for a while. Sometimes it's going to be clean. Sometimes it's going to be dirty, right? This car is going to get old. It's going to fade. So as your car gets old, if there's craving, desire, attachment to keep this car permanently, then the mind's going to be angry or frustrated when the car gets old and it starts breaking down rather than understanding this is just part of the natural life cycle of the car that it's going to start breaking down at different times and you've got to plan for that either you're going to need a new car after a certain period of time or you're going to need a certain budget in order to fix and repair the car so if our mind is having craving desire attachment and it's longing with a strong eagerness to hold on to this car permanently then it's going to experience discontentedness in some cases people can accumulate lots and lots and lots of cars and what this can lead to is it can lead to excessive work it can lead to excessive ego a lack of time with those people that you care about it can cause problems in your life if you're just putting all kinds of money into automobiles because you're trying to accumulate all these automobiles just one more one more one more automobile or if you get a Toyota car and that mind is content for a year or two, but now because of the ego and the self-identity, I want a BMW. And now I work and work and work and work and work to get the BMW. And now I've got the BMW for a few years and that wears off. And now I want a Lamborghini. And now I work and work and work and work and work and work just to get the Lamborghini. This is the mind chasing its craving, desire, attachments, the object of its affection. And this is how people oftentimes get into debt or they just work excessive hours because they're constantly chasing an automobile, for example, or a particular type of automobile in order to support an ego or self-identity. Right. So it's not that the automobile itself is a craving, desire, attachment because it's helpful to have transportation in the world, whether it's a bike, a motorcycle, a car, a bus, what have you. There's transportation that we need in the world, but it's when the mind has longing and a strong eagerness for it that that can cause the mind to be discontent. The same thing with a child. There's nothing wrong with having a child. Children are great. Some people can have children. Some people can't. Not everybody in the world can have children because of impermanence. So if you are incapable of having children for any reason, that's because of impermanence. Not every human being is going to be able to have children. But once we have children or if we're aspiring to have children and we want a child so badly and we don't have one, it's that craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing and strong eagerness for a child that's causing the mind to be discontent. And because of that, that's what's going to create the painful feelings, the sadness or the frustration or the irritation because we want a child and we don't have one. 
or once we have a child now once someone has a child now they try to hold this child so closely and they try to control the child's life and they want the child to be a certain way and now this causes problems and harshness in the family because the parents have such yearning such strong eagerness for the child to be a certain way that they put their craving desire attachments onto the child they want the child to be a doctor or a lawyer or an airplane pilot or be in the military and the parents trying to control the child to be one way or another not allowing the child to make its own decisions and this can create roughness and harshness in the relationship and then also the same example i gave before is that when the child goes away to college or gets married the parents can be very discontent with that because they're trying to hold on to the child so closely craving permanence and this can cause discontentedness in the mind or somebody can crave a lot of children maybe they have one and the mind's content for a while then they want another one and the mind's content for a while and then they want another one and 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 they just keep having children there's nothing wrong with having children but it's when the mind is chasing the objects of its desires with this mental longing and strong eagerness that then the mind's going to be discontent and then likewise if a child dies for any reason this is why oftentimes parents are discontent because the child has died the mind doesn't like this impermanence the mind doesn't understand impermanence and when the child dies the mind is longing for this permanence and it thinks that the child shouldn't have died and there the mind becomes sad or discontent and this can cause a lot of problems in relationships oftentimes husband and wives or moms and dads split and separate after a child has died because they attribute the painful feelings to this relationship rather than what's really happened which is just impermanence and because of these painful feelings that the two parents are feeling at because of the death of the child it actually drives the parents away from each other and it makes it difficult for them to stay together because they're both angry they're both sad they're both frustrated and they start taking it out on each other and the relationship dissolves because the mind is untrained to understand impermanence right so we could go through all of these really and but they're in the book you know whether it's children or clothing and jewelry or fame or food or animal products or happiness helping the world certain job titles having a life partner i already talked about that one how the mind can kind of long for a life partner if you don't have one you really want a boyfriend or a girlfriend or husband or wife and then the mind becomes discontent because it doesn't have what it wants the objects of its affection it's longing and longing and longing and wanting it so badly and then once you get a partner you kind of crush the relationship because you're trying to hold on to this person so tightly rather than just let each person make their own decisions in the relationship and live life together supporting each other and encouraging each other and motivating each other we oftentimes crush each other because we want things to be our way we want certain things to be our way in the relationship and because of that longing and strong eagerness to have things our way oftentimes anger and frustration and arguments ensue in a relationship and because of that we can oftentimes drive our partners away from us because we want things our way instead of trying to 
meet in the middle and kind of find a way that we can both experience this peacefulness and contentedness, we oftentimes tug and pull in a relationship wanting things to be our way. And this can cause discontentedness rather than just letting both people kind of exist and do things that they feel comfortable with. So there's these in the book and then there's a whole nother set as well. There's a whole table in the book. It doesn't mean that you can't have some of these things. You can have all of these things pretty much, but it's just that when you long for them or you try to hold on to them with a strong eagerness, that's what's going to cause the discontentedness. Except for things like substance abuse. When there's substance abuse, this is essentially the mind craving pleasant feelings. Because pleasant feelings based on some impermanent condition are impermanent and temporary, that happiness, excitement, and elation is impermanent, oftentimes people crave those pleasant feelings of happiness, excitement, and elation, and because they can't hold on to them permanently with the new car or the new job or something else, people will oftentimes turn to a substance. They will turn to a substance to get rid of the painful feelings of sadness, frustration, and anger, and they're chasing after these pleasant feelings. This is why the mind experiences substance abuse or addiction to substances, because we're chasing after those pleasant feelings and we want those pleasant feelings and we think that this substance is going to create those pleasant feelings for us and it may produce pleasant feelings for a period of time but that is also impermanent the mind experiences this high and then it experiences the low and then the low becomes low and you need more of the substance to get that high again and then that high becomes high and then the mind goes down deeper and deeper into the low and now you need more and more of the substance to get back up to that high again and now the mind sinks even further and deeper into the low into the depression and you need more of that substance to get you up into the high again and this is the mind just going up and down and up and down chasing those pleasant feelings because the mind doesn't understand the real problem the real problem is, is that these feelings are all temporary and that the mind is chasing after these impermanent feelings of pleasant feelings. And as long as it keeps chasing after this conditioned happiness based on some impermanent condition, it will never experience permanent peacefulness or permanent joy because it's basing its inner feelings on these impermanent conditions, right? So we're taught to kind of chase after these pleasant feelings, oftentimes through wealth, like money or real estate or investments or land or something like that. And we're taught that if we just have X amount of money, then your life is perfect. But the problem is, is that you get X amount of money and the mind's still not happy permanently. It wants more and then you get more. And then the mind's not happy with that either. And it wants more and more and more. And this is the craving. So when you get rid of that and you just live your life however you're going to live, it doesn't mean you can't be wealthy. You can be enlightened and wealthy. But you've got to train the mind to not have this longing and find your happiness based on how much money is in your bank. If you've got 
$2,000 in your bank account, maybe you feel good, but then some expense comes and it drops down to $500. Now you feel sad because the bank account doesn't have much money anymore. So now you work and work and work to try to get back up to that $2,000 or more, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000. And now you have another expense and it drops. And then the mind is discontent because it doesn't like this impermanence. The mind wants this permanent growth and see your bank account doing this. It's not comfortable with this up and down, up and down because it doesn't understand impermanence. And you've got to understand that really all you need is the money that you need right now to sustain your life in this present moment. But if you put your satisfaction and your happiness based on how much money is in your bank account, well, if you assign your inner feelings based on this bank account, your bank account's going to be going up and down. So that means your feelings in your mind is going to be going up and down, up and down, up and down. Where when you eliminate that condition, whether your bank account is 500 or it's 2000, you're just as joyful. This is going to Donna's question that you can have these joyful feelings, but it's not attached to your bank account. Because as your bank account goes up and down, then the mind is going to experience discontentedness because it doesn't like this impermanence. But when you disassociate with that and you are no longer attached, yearning with a strong eagerness for a certain amount in your bank, then your mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because it's not basing its inner feelings off of your bank account. You can still aspire. You can still have the objective to grow your bank account but you just don't allow your feelings to be based on the amount of money that's in your bank account. That's how an enlightened mind is going to function. The way that we fix this is this up and down, up and down, and the way that the mind is attaching and craving and yearning all these impermanent conditions is we train it with breathing mindfulness meditation. Through breathing mindfulness meditation, we train the mind to no longer yearn to the past or long for the future or have this constant thoughts and ideas and perceptions. We train the mind to focus on the breath so that we cut off any craving, desire, attachment and bring the mind to the middle. And we arise and cultivate this awareness of mind or mindfulness so that when we notice that the mind is not in the middle, we can cut it off and let it go. So when the mind in meditation is being trained to focus on the breath and focus on the breath, let go of thoughts, let go of this yearning for the past or for the future and come back to the breath, then when you're in daily life and your brother-in-law says something disagreeable, and you feel that little bit of discontentedness starting to arise, you cut it off and you can let it go because you've trained the mind really well in meditation. And when you do that enough times, then eventually the discontentedness doesn't arise at all. So when you come outside and you see your car has a scratch on it, instead of getting angry or frustrated or irritated, the mind just reverts to the wisdom and it understands impermanence and it's like, ah, Thank goodness I got insurance. I need to take the car to go get it fixed and maybe patch up this paint instead of getting angry or frustrated or enraged. 
I mean, people have gotten murdered over scratches on cars before, and people have gone to jail for the rest of their life just because of a scratch on a car. Why? Because the mind didn't understand impermanence. It had craving, desire, attachment, wanting this car to look a certain way. And when it saw that somebody scratched it, it went berserk. It didn't have the wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline to control itself. So it's through the entire Eightfold Path that we develop that wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. And one step of that Eightfold Path is practicing breathing mindfulness meditation in a consistent basis over the course of your life that you gradually train the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. We also practice generosity or giving and sharing. By training the mind to practice generosity with your friends, your family, your coworkers, different people around you, by training the mind to give and share, then you train the mind to let go and not hold on to things so tightly. So if you open a bag of chips, you're like, hey, would you like any? Or if you are buying yourself a breakfast sandwich, maybe you get two or three extras and you hand them out at work to some of the people at work. This is the giving and sharing and letting go and not holding on so tightly. We're taught as children to share. We're not actually taught why, but we're taught to share. But oftentimes as we get older, we become very selfish, very self-centered, and we hold on to things very tightly. But we need to train the mind to be generous and do giving and sharing on an ongoing basis. And by doing that, we train the mind to let go and not hold on to things so tightly. These are two that I've talked about in the past in this program. So these should be fairly known to you in terms of what we've talked about in the past in this program. But there's this third one that we're going to cover next week that is something that you need to do in order to eliminate craving, desire, attachment and bring the mind to more contentedness and peacefulness. I call this one identifying your cravings, cultivating non-clinging and analysis of the mind. This is where when the mind becomes discontent, you're able to look within the mind and identify the craving, desire, attachments that are causing it. You can analyze the mind and you can see for yourself what are the cravings that cause this. And once you see very clearly what the cravings were that caused the mind to become discontent, then you can work to eliminate them. Because breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity is more like generalized training that we do on a consistent, ongoing basis, just to generally train the mind to always be letting go, always be letting go and training it to let go. But it's this third one of identifying exactly what your craving is so that then you train the mind to let go. So using Amina's example, in that example, I can see that there's probably some attachment to being a good parent and she wants to be a good parent. So when she heard somebody say something that maybe she wasn't a good parent, that arose some discontentedness because she has this longing and strong eagerness to be a good parent and be perceived that way by others. She might have a certain craving, desire, attachment to her daughter 
and wanting her daughter to be healthy. And when she hears somebody say that she's injuring or hurting her daughter by having her wear a mask, right away it's like, whoa, the mind, the mind doesn't understand that because that's what I'm doing with the mask is helping her to be healthy. So there's some craving desire attachment that Amina still has there and she's working on it, probably knows about it, of being a perfect parent or some certain craving desire attachment to the child, right? It's not bad to have an interest or an aspiration to be a good parent. There's nothing wrong with having a child. It's the mind longing for it and wanting it. That's what causes the discontentedness to arise. Or in the example of having a car and seeing a scratch, if the mind comes out and you become frustrated or irritated when you see a scratch on the car, if you analyze the mind and you see the discontentedness associated with the scratch, then you've identified one of your craving desire attachments. I'm attached to my car. I'm trying to keep my car permanently looking good. Again, there's nothing wrong with looking to maintain your car and keeping it looking nice, but it's when the mind is holding on to it too tightly, expecting permanence, that that's what's going to cause the mind to be discontent. So when that scratches on the car and the mind becomes frustrated, maybe you're attached to the car or maybe you're attached to your money and you realize you're going to now have to pay money in order to get that fixed and you're frustrated because of the money or maybe the time that it's going to take you to go to the car dealership and get it fixed maybe that's part of the attachment usually early in practice any one particular situation of discontentedness there's going to be two three four five six craving desire attachments that cause any one particular incident of discontentedness but it's through learning what we're going to talk about next week that you can identify these cravings and then you can work with them skillfully to train the mind to let go. You're going to be using breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity as generalized trainings. But when you have that discontentedness that arises, that's like the red light on the dashboard of the car telling you something's wrong. Something's wrong in the mind because you're experiencing discontentedness. If there's happiness, excitement, and elation, ah, that's discontentedness. There's a reason why. My mom just came over to visit me. She hasn't been here for three years. I feel so happy that she came to my house. Well, then when she doesn't come to your house, you're going to feel sad. So you have to cut that off. Or some other thing can make your mind very happy. Well, when you see that happening, the mind is discontent, and you see you're attached to your mom coming over to your house. That's the red light. And now you can skillfully work with this to fix it. Or if you have painful feelings, your mind becomes angered or frustrated when your child comes home with bad grades and you see that they have bad grades and now you're angry and you're frustrated about it. Well, there you go. That's the red light. It's telling you that your mind is attached. It's craving, it's desiring, it's having this mental longing with a strong eagerness for your child to permanently have good grades. And if they don't have good grades, your mind's discontent. You experience anger or frustration, and now you create difficulties in your relationship with your child. Maybe you yell at them, or maybe you punish them, 
rather than helping them and supporting them and encouraging them to get better grades and figuring out what knowledge do they need to improve their grades. Instead, you punish them, right? And this is going to create difficulties in your relationship. Or if they come home with good grades, your mind's happy and it's excited and it's elated. It gets very prideful, right? That's a problem because if you allow your mind to become prideful and so elated when your child has good grades, if they come home with bad grades someday because of impermanence, your mind's going to be angry or frustrated. And that's the mind going up and down where what you've got to look at is just be like, okay, they've got good grades. Great. Let's continue to support them. Good job. Even take them out to celebrate if you'd like. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's when the mind is craving the permanent good grades, not recognizing the impermanence that it's going to introduce painful feelings into the mind. So this is just some of the things that the mind can become discontent over. But it's these three solutions that we need to understand deeply and apply in practice in order to eradicate this pollution of craving, desire, attachment. And we're going to talk very deeply next week on Sunday about identifying cravings and how to do that very skillfully. And then once we identify them, how to actually eradicate them and eliminate them from the mind. So let me see what questions you guys have. This is everything that I was going to share with you today. So any questions you guys have, I'd be happy to answer them for you. You can put your question into the comment section of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically and I'll answer any questions that you have. We have a question from Anastasio. He says, if the person who scratched the car do not want to pay for the paint and you lose money for that reason, how do you manage the sorrow inside? So that sorrow is coming from you having this longing and strong eagerness for your car. And then if they don't pay for it, it's you having this longing and strong eagerness for the money. So in the unenlightened state, you're going to experience the sorrow if you have a longing with a strong eagerness for the car and your money. But through training the mind to eliminate that longing and strong eagerness, then you won't experience that sorrow. You will just observe and see the situation for what it is and then implement wise decisions to fix it, whatever that is. Maybe you drive around with a scratch for the next two or three months or years until you have money to fix it. Or maybe you just don't care about the scratch and you're okay. Or maybe it's a big enough problem you have to take this person to court and you have to sue them in court to get the money or maybe you submit it to their insurance. There's many different solutions to the scratch itself, but the sorrow isn't helping anything. The sorrow is just because the mind has this craving, desire, attachment, wanting to hold on to it. So what you do when the sorrow arises is you practice the Eightfold Path, which part of that Eightfold Path is right mindfulness where you become aware of the sorrow. And when the sorrow starts coming into the mind, you then practice right effort, which is another part of the path, the Eightfold Path, which right effort is to cut off that thought, cut off that feeling and let it go. In the unenlightened mind, 
with an untrained mind, that's very difficult to cut off the sorrow and let it go. But when you get these things underway, breathing mindfulness meditation, practicing generosity, identifying your cravings, practicing the full eightfold path, you will be able to work skillfully with this sorrow and you will be able to let it go and let it go and let it go. And the more your mind becomes trained, eventually you'll get to the point where the same exact situation can happen, but there's no sorrow whatsoever. That you don't feel any sorrow whatsoever, even in the same exact situation that before caused sorrow in the mind because the craving desire attachment was there. Once you eradicate and eliminate the craving desire attachment from the mind, the sorrow will no longer arise in the mind because there's no longer this mental longing and strong eagerness to keep the car permanent. And there's no longer this mental longing and strong eagerness to keep your money permanently. You know that this is just part of life. It's impermanent. The car is impermanent. The money is impermanent. I'm not trying to hold on to it tightly. If you try to hold on to those things tightly, that's what's going to cause the mind sorrow. But once you train the mind to let those go and just realize that these things are all impermanent, the mind will just address the situation with wisdom and make wise decisions and move on with its life rather than experiencing sorrow. Well, uh, I need to make sure that uh, my understanding until now is correct. So uh, anyway, life is full of struggles and challenges. So uh, we have two ways, either uh, treating these challenges or uh, struggles with cravings, and then the consequences will be um, unwholesome or undesirable. Or one can um, train the mind through uh, breathing uh, mindfulness meditation, generosity, and all the uh, Gautama Buddha's teachings, and then the mind will be able to train wisely and more peacefully with these uh, uh, struggles. So do you agree with this? You said that perfectly, Basim. Very, very perfectly. Essentially, if I was going to even summarize even more from what you just said, you said it so perfectly. But essentially, what the unenlightened mind is doing is it's reacting. It's reacting in an unwholesome way through craving, anger, and ignorance or unknowing a true reality. It doesn't have the wisdom. It's reacting negatively with craving, anger, and ignorance. As the mind trains in these teachings more and more and more, instead of reacting with unwholesomeness through craving, anger, and ignorance, it will instead respond with generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. The mind then has the wisdom to respond to the situation rather than react. What the unenlightened mind is doing is it's reacting, and that's where that sorrow is coming from, or that anger, or that frustration. It's reacting to the situation rather than responding with wisdom. So you said it perfectly, Basim. Okay, uh, thanks a lot, teacher, for your time and your help. Uh, no more questions for now. Okay. What about Manal? Does Manal have any from Facebook or YouTube? There are no more questions on Facebook and YouTube. Okay. Great. Well, I would like to thank all of you guys for all of your questions, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. It was a great class to be able to share this with you and help you to see more clearly what is the problem in the unenlightened mind and what are the solutions. There's a, 
plenty of teachings to learn. There's a lot to understand and it's going to take you some time. Just like it took you time to learn ABCs, it took you time to learn how to read and write and all of these things. It's going to take you time to learn the teachings, apply them, and then ultimately experience the results. Where now you can sit down and read a book because you've done all the work to learn your ABCs, learn how to pronounce words. It took you many years to do that. And it's going to take you some time to train the mind to eliminate discontentedness. But who wants to live with discontentedness? Who enjoys being angry or frustrated or irritated? Who enjoys being bored or lonely or shy? Who enjoys resentment or jealousy? We don't enjoy these things. So we should have motivation and encouragement to learn and practice these teachings to eradicate these from the mind. And you've got a teacher who's willing to support you, encourage you, and help you with all these resources. They're all completely free. Nothing has a price tag on it. All the books that I write and publish are completely free. All the audiobooks are completely free. All the classes are completely free. All the personal guidance is completely free. So it just requires your dedication, your determination, your diligence to dive into the resources to learn and practice and seek guidance with the teacher to gradually train the mind on this path to improve the condition of the mind. And as you do, you will feel so much joy that the mind is clearing out this discontentedness because it's becoming more and more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And the more that you stop trying to train the outside world to do things your way, and instead train the inner world, your own mind, to understand these natural laws of existence, the mind will gain this wisdom and will make wiser and wiser decisions in the world. And you will see that the mind will gradually become more peaceful. You will see within a few days or a few weeks as you get underway with these trainings that as you practice with the Buddhist teaching, the mind gradually becomes more peaceful and you'll see the truth for yourself rather than believing a bunch of things, hoping that it'll come true when you die. You can see the results of your practice right now as you learn and as you practice. You can independently confirm that what you're learning and what you're practicing is helping the mind to experience the world in a different way. You no longer get disgruntled and angry, for example, when your grocery bag falls apart and the groceries are all over the floor. You just realize, oh, impermanence. Let me just pick them up. No big deal. And we'll move on with our life. So you start training and you start responding to the world through this training that you have rather than reacting negatively. It just takes time. It's going to take a lot of time. So if you're watching for the first time, be sure you download this book or you can get a printed copy from Amazon.com if you like or wherever the equivalent is in your country. And as you read and you learn these teachings, you can get help through our Facebook group, through the online classes, through sending a private message or scheduling a personal guidance session as you need going forward. So I'm here to help you. You just need to apply your dedication and diligence to learn. So I'd like to thank Manal and Bassam and James and anyone else who decides to moderate in the future. It's really great to have you guys to support these classes and 
that's part of your generosity and your practice of generosity to share your time to help all of us to have a class where we can continue to focus on the teachings and thank all of you guys who asked your questions to draw out the teachings more and have more discussion as part of the class. Next week on Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 13, which is identifying cravings, cultivating non-craving in analysis of the mind. Here we're going to dive deeper into how to identify cravings in the mind so that you can eradicate them. So if you read the chapter either before or after class, you'll be able to get more benefit out of the class. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. This meditation that I just mentioned, which is the problem in the mind of craving, desire, attachment, we're going to be using the solution, which is breathing mindfulness meditation. I'll be teaching that on Wednesday at the same exact time, either here on Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. And all of this gets recorded. So if you can't attend live on Wednesday, then you can listen back on the podcast or in YouTube or in our Facebook group to see what I taught on Wednesday for meditation. And if you're interested in getting meditated before Wednesday, I taught this same class many, many times. So you can get to our YouTube channel or to our podcast and you can watch classes that I taught previously. Just search for Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. So until our next class, either Wednesday or next Sunday, have a lovely rest of your day and we'll see you next time. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.